it's great to be together today. The singing just sounds amazing. I don't know what happened, but it's, uh, it's always good. But today it's even extra special. I think we're all back from uh, summer break. We're starting the fall. And uh, it is exciting to uh, be together. If you're visiting with us, as you can see, we're starting or continuing our series on Galatians chapter 2 today uh, called The New Creation. And uh, we're excited to be able to start our lives over and be new creations every day. And uh, I wanted to follow up here as we get started. A few weeks ago, I shared about this guy, Sharif, there. You might remember he is in Lebanon, and uh, that's him and I as we were hiking through the cedars of Lebanon this summer. And uh, the woman on the, the left... Uh, her mom got baptized in July, and I, I was sharing that during the conference that we were at, Sharif was having talks with almost everybody there, and he was coming from a, a Muslim variation of faith. It's called the Druze faith, which is kind of an offshoot of, Mus- of Islam. And uh, so this past Wednesday, I was texting him and, and just keeping in touch, hey, how's it going? And and he sent me a picture. He said, it's going really well. I got baptized last night. Yeah. And uh, so just wanted to share that with you. This is a picture that he sent me. And uh, this other woman named Hayat uh, was baptized as well on Tuesday. And it's just amazing to see God moving in a powerful way. I know I shared uh, last month that the church in Beirut had baptized four ladies in one day last month. And now, you know, to see a church of 80 that's really... Uh, bearing a lot of fruit for God and just really special uh, for this guy to be able to uh, become friends. And, uh, you know, it's something that we'll, I'll always remember uh, being over there. And then this past Wednesday, we had a, something else to remember uh, of our own here. And I, it was cool to be able to share this with them. Uh, this was our own Lily uh, Mendiola who got baptized uh, uh, this past Wednesday, and I uh, just wanted to share with you, for some of you who weren't able to be there after midweek for the baptism, kind of the, the, the two high points here I'll share with you. They're real short. What is your good confession? Amen. Amen. So uh, that was pretty awesome. I told you it was short. Just the highlights. And then the... The, the next part. Ready? Ready? Um, Hello. Yeah. So it was amazing to see someone become a new creation in front of our eyes. And we've seen Lily grow up over the years and see God change her. And you could tell that God was working on her here the past few months. And that's really amazing to be able to become new creation. We don't have to be the same people that we've been before, whether you're just starting out or whether you've been a Christian for a long time. You don't have to remain stuck and remain the same person. And uh, that's kind of the message of Galatians is now you're a new creation. You don't have to go backwards. You can go forwards. And uh, as we get started with today, I want to show a video that kind of gives a bit of background uh, of the book that we're studying. It's a few minutes, but I think it does a better job than I could in four minutes to kind of give you the background of the book of 
Galatians. It's from the, the site called The Bible Project, which I'm pretty excited about. Paul's letter to the Galatians. It was written to a number of churches in the region of Galatia where Paul had traveled on one of his missionary journeys. You can read the stories in the book of Acts. He wrote this important letter from a place of deep passion and frustration. Here's the backstory. Christianity began as a Jewish messianic movement in Jerusalem, but its message was for all humanity, and so it quickly spread beyond Israel. By Paul's time as a missionary, there were as many non-Jews as there were Jewish people in the Jesus movement, and this sparked a huge debate that we know about from the book of Acts chapter 15. Historically, the covenant people of God were focused in one ethnic group, Israel, and they were set apart by the practices commanded in the Torah, like circumcision of males, eating kosher, observing the Sabbath. And there were many Jewish Christians who believed that for all of these non-Jews to truly become a part of God's family, they needed to obey the laws of the Torah. And so some of these Jewish Christians ended up coming to the Galatian churches. They were undermining Paul and demanding circumcision of all these male non-Jewish Christians. And so many of them were. And when Paul found out, he was brokenhearted and angry. And this letter is the result. He first challenges the Galatians with his summary of the gospel message about the crucified Messiah. He then argues that this gospel is what creates the new multi-ethnic family of Jesus and Abraham. And then he shows how this gospel is what truly transforms people by the presence and power of the spirit. He opens by expressing his bewilderment that the Galatians have embraced a different gospel. It's the one promoted by these Christians who badmouth Paul and demand circumcision. So Paul first defends the authenticity of his message and authority as an apostle. He was commissioned by the risen Jesus himself to go to the non-Jewish world. Remember the story from the book of Acts. Paul says it was only later that he went to Jerusalem to consult the other apostles like Peter or James. And when he told them he wasn't requiring non-Jewish Christians to be circumcised or eat kosher, they were in full support. But this tension ran deeper. Peter had come to Antioch to visit and see all of these non-Jewish Christians, and he was eating and mingling with them. But when some of this Jerusalem opposition group showed up in Antioch, Peter caved under their pressure. He stopped eating with these uncircumcised Christians, and he was avoiding them. And so Paul confronted and accused Peter of hypocrisy, of not staying true to the gospel. For Paul, demanding these new Christians to become circumcised and Torah observant, it's wrong-headed for all kinds of reasons. First of all, because it's a betrayal of the gospel. Or in his words, people are not justified by the works of the Torah, but rather by the faith of Jesus the Messiah. And we have faith in the Messiah Jesus. To be justified, or literally to be declared righteous, it's a rich Old Testament term for Paul. It's when God declares that someone is in a right relationship with him. They're forgiven, they're given a place in God's family, and they are being transformed by God's grace. And it's Paul's conviction that no one can be justified by observing the commands of the Torah, but only by the faith of Jesus. This is a dense phrase, and it could refer to Jesus' own faithfulness in living and dying on our behalf, or it could refer to our own trust and devotion to Jesus. Either way, the point is clear. People are justified only through trusting in what God did for them through Jesus, not by what they do for themselves. At the heart of Paul's gospel is this claim, that when people trust in the Messiah Jesus, what's true of him becomes true of them. 
His life, death, and resurrection become theirs. Or in his words, I've been crucified with the Messiah. And it's not I who come back to life. It's the Messiah living in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so the reason anyone can say that they are right with God or belong to Jesus' covenant family, it's not because they obeyed the laws of the Torah. It's only because of what Jesus did for them that they could never do for themselves. Amen. Amen. I love the Bible Project. It explains things. You got like a little TV show in the middle of the sermon there. Um, for those of you that are really into it, you were really hoping that they would fill in all the spaces perfectly and make it all look like that. So I was, I, I like that kind of stuff. But we, the title of the sermon today is called Crucified with Christ. And turn over to Galatians chapter 2, and we're going to talk about this, and this is how Paul ends the chapter. And today we're going to read the entire chapter, so we don't do this every, we're not going to do this with every chapter probably, but today we're going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to read half of it right here. So pay attention and listen and picture yourself as if you were there. Fourteen years later, I went up to Jerusalem. This is Paul writing. This time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to see to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so the truth of the gospel might remain in you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. Peter, James, and John, reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing we were eager to do. And so my point number one here is the right hand of fellowship that Paul mentioned that he went back to. Jerusalem to find out about the gospel that he was preaching after he had been off teaching for a while. And he came back and he wanted to make sure that he was teaching the right thing. And it's amazing to see his humility here. It says. As he goes back, he said, I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. And you imagine, Paul, he had been. Appeared to by Jesus himself, he had been knocked off his horse, blinded, healed, and filled with the spirit that he could actually heal people wherever he went, drive out demons. And yet he was still humble enough to go back to Jerusalem wondering, man, I hope I did it right. 
I hope I hadn't gone beyond where I was supposed to. I hope I wasn't teaching the wrong thing, that he had such a humility that he wanted to be unified with the other disciples and with the leaders of the church there. I mean, it is so difficult for us when we've had experiences with God to be humble to the possibility that maybe we're wrong. That maybe we didn't do it right. That maybe God did appear to us. Maybe he did knock me off the horse. Maybe he did miraculously heal me. But still, maybe I'm wrong in what I've been teaching or what I've been living. And it's such a humble spirit. You know, it reminds me of Philippians 2. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That wasn't just something that he told other people to do. That was something that he practiced himself. And I'm sure if he was wrong, he would have went back to every single church and say, hey, this is where I messed up. Let's get this on straight. Take this, but not that. And yet he had that right hand of fellowship from the the leaders of the church there. You know, it makes you think about it at certain times. You know, today it was uh, a difficult time being with Drew and his family with the passing of his grandmother. And being at the funeral and just thinking, man, this is when it really matters if you're right with God. This is the time when you step aside and you think, okay, it doesn't matter what church I went to. It doesn't matter what my preacher said or what my parents said. I'm going before Jesus today. And I pray that we take that to heart as Paul did. He said, you know, I want to make sure that I'm not running my race in vain. Imagine you get to the end of the race and go, you know what? You took a wrong turn. You actually didn't finish. That's what he's talking about. Yeah. Running the wrong course is, makes all the difference. And he had that same conviction. And it says that they reckon, I apologize, my slides aren't quite fitting on the screen here. But it says that he, they recognized a few things and this is what allowed them to have that right hand of fellowship. You know, it says that they, they recognized the grace That God had given to each of them. They recognized the miraculous thing that God had done in their life. Wow, this is the guy that got knocked off the, this is the guy who was persecuting Christians. I mean, man, God is amazing. I'm sure for them it was an awesome experience just to meet him. Be like, wow, I can't believe you were that person. You know, and that is the thing that we all have in common. If we have that right hand of fellowship, that we all have that in common, that we have the grace of God extended to each of us. We have that amazing story of what we were like before God and how he humbled us and how he brought us to our knees and how he opened up the Bible to us and how he helped us to see something new. And for many of us, how we needed to repent of our old ways and submit ourselves and be baptized into Christ. And they had that in common and they saw that and they recognized, wow, God is amazing. And if we look around the room, there's so many of us that we have this grace that we share in common. That we weren't there when we all went through it, but we know what it's like to go through that. We know the experience of coming to Christ. We know how it's not easy. We know how we had to pray. We know how we we, we got desperate, how we... Met people that taught us that we didn't just read it on our own, that some God put people in our lives. And that's an amazing experience. It says that they they also made plans together. 
to help others become Christians. They said, you go to the Jews and we'll go to the Gentiles and you figure out how to reach them and we'll figure out how to reach the Gentiles. But we have the same mission. If you have the right hand of fellowship with Jesus, you have the same mission and passion that Jesus has. And it's amazing to know that wherever we are in Christ, we have that mission for him. You know, as we celebrate our the, the, the L.A. Church's 30th anniversary, it's amazing to see that 30 people came and had the mission of Christ. And now there's over 6,000 people in 40 different churches all around Southern California. And Danielle and I were baptized in Boston as was. Uh, oh, Peggy was in New York. But we're they're celebrating their 40th anniversary this year. And so from 30 people and now that they had the mission of Christ and now there's six to seven hundred churches around the world in over 150 nations, about 120,000 disciples that share the right hand of fellowship. You know, it was amazing to be in the Middle East and know and talk to people and like Sharif and others to go, wow, we're we're in this together. You're fighting the fight over here. These are your challenges and issues, and we're fighting it over here. These are our challenges and issues. But to know that we, we, we're, we're one, we're together. We have the same mission wherever we are. And that is so inspiring. If you've never been to another church, you haven't experienced that feeling of like, I wonder if we're really the same. I mean, I know we're supposed to be the same, but I wonder if we really are. And you, you meet new Christians and you hear the word preached, you go, wow, we really are. We teach the same thing, the same truth, the same fellowship as one another. You know, I'm proud of our church. We've been through a lot in the church. We've had some good things and we've had some challenges the last few years. But I'm proud of our church that we're together, that we're united. You know, it's amazing. You hear about other mega churches and they started about the same time and they have 6,000 members or 10,000 members or 20,000 on Sunday. You go, wow, that's so amazing. And I go, wow, that, that is amazing. But that's in one location. And just see what God has done with us in 40 years. Not to brag, but it's even more amazing. (laughs) And it's not about us. It's the message of Christ. And you know what? We have a long way to go. That's a drop in the bucket of what God wants to do. But I pray that we can have a, a right kind of pride in the ICOC, the International Churches of Christ. Because when we were in the Middle East, they sure did. Are you part of the ICOC? Yes, yes, I am. And they were so fired up. You know, the name and the initials doesn't mean anything, but the right hand of fellowship does. Because they know what that means. They know where we're coming from. You know, and this week we got to celebrate uh, Dwayne and Cynthia Cox. Uh, I think it's their last service here today. So uh, please stand up for us. I don't know who's. They got me so confused on who's leaving when and when, you know, they're leaving soon. Uh, I think Dwayne's today and Cynthia's coming up. But just to know that they go with the right hand of fellowship. To hear people share like the the, the Hammonds and the Tazais and the the Yesters and how they they came to Christ here and they learned the scriptures here and they became 
you know, disciples here. And then not only that, but then they took it into their own family and then they were, were giving the, the gospel to others here. And now they're going out uh, with the right hand of fellowship. And uh, that's one thing I appreciate about Dwayne is that he really appreciates and knows what that means. And that's a special thing that the, the disciples in Temecula will be blessed. Because they'll be able to go, and this is their first time. They've been to other churches, but like moving churches, you know, but they're going to have that same experience. Like, wow, we're all the same. You know, and even today, I got to meet David and Caroline, who didn't know I was going to be sharing this, uh, that they're moving from the north shore of L.A. over to Maryland. And as we were talking, I realized that these are the guys that were best friends with some of our best friends, Dan and Pam, who moved from Orange County. And we were at Dan and Pam a month ago, and they were sharing how bummed out they were that their best friends, their partner in the gospel, is moving to Maryland, and then they're here with us today. So in a way, without even really knowing them, I know them. I know who they are, because I know who Dan and Pam are, and I know how... Their friends are, and that, that means I know who they are. That's the right hand of fellowship. And that's what Paul was, saw was so valuable. And so many of you, you share that same fellowship. And you have that wherever you go, where there's disciples of Christ. We are so excited in our group. They decided they're going to go down to Mexicali and, and visit the, an orphanage there and visit the church there. And the thing that was really most cool about it was Armando and Alicia were the ones that came up with the idea. And they're the ones that are all excited about it. And they were just baptized a couple months ago. And just to know that they're going to go and they're going to experience this right hand of fellowship that I'm talking about. Amen. They're going to see the same teaching. They're going to see disciples. They're going to see the love. They're going to see what, what they learned. But they're going to learn it in a different way. And so I pray that we're in the right way encouraged. And I pray that we're, we, we're fired up to be a part of that fellowship that we are. And it's a valuable one. And Paul even here realized that, man, that right hand of fellowship was something special that, that I'll never forget. Let's move on here. In Galatians 2, verse 11, we'll move on to our second point, crucified with Christ. He says, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If, while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. 
For through the law, I died to the law that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Amen. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And so my point number two is crucified with Christ. And it's amazing that right after they got the right, you know, he talks about the right hand of fellowship, that they all had this amazing time and they're all bonding. And then right afterwards, he's rebuking Peter in front of everyone. So you get the right hand of fellowship and then the left hand of rebuke. Because you were messing up, you were doing it over here and then now you're being a hypocrite. So the person that was affirming Paul is now the tables are reversed and Paul is rebuking him. And the one who had the right hand of fellowship, Barnabas, is now messing up and leading people astray. And he's getting challenged by Paul. But the good thing was that that's what brothers do. They encourage one another. And when we get out of line, they give us a challenge. And the, the good part of the story is they... All got back where they're supposed to be. And that's the amazing thing that sometimes we're on one side and sometimes we're on another. But the fellowship keeps us together and helps us to remain crucified with Christ. Because their old life was coming back. Their old Jewish traditions, the old way of doing things. And they let go of the, the, the life that they learn in Christ. You know, if you can imagine for a second what it would mean to be literally crucified with Christ. You know, so they go up and they put they put Jesus on the cross. So here's Jesus and they nail him in there. And then they take you and they put you right up there and they take a second nail and they nail you in through your hand, through Jesus's arm into the wood. And then they do that with the other hand and they do that with your feet. That's what literally being crucified with Christ would be. That just as Christ died, that I died too. And that's the good news. That we can die to our sins. We can die to all of our selfishness. We can die to our deceit. We can die to our immorality. We can die to our lust. We can die to our pride. And be crucified with Christ so that we can live by faith in the Son of God. And we can reset our minds. So he's writing to Christians who had already been crucified with Christ. But then they resurrected their old life and now they needed to be crucified with Christ again. It's not just something that you do one time and you have all these amazing stories. But guess what? Your selfishness still tries to come back. And it may not show up in the same ways, but, but left to ourselves, it will come back if we don't continue to go to Christ and take things to the cross. So today, my question is simple. Are you still crucified with Christ? Are you still dead to the old way of life? Or are, are you still submitted to Jesus? Could you say what Lily said earlier? Jesus is the Lord of my life today? Or is he, or are you the Lord of your life today? 
Do you wake up thinking, what do I want to do or what does Christ want me to do? Or maybe you're in the middle. Guess what? If you're in the middle, that means that you're not crucified with Christ. You know, on Wednesday, we talked about this tree. Okay, we talked about the tree. The tree lives. And if you weren't there, I have an orange tree, I have a lemon tree, and I have a grapefruit tree. Last year, all my oranges, I'll try to be brief, but last year, all my oranges were eaten by rats. And so I put aluminum around the base of the tree. I put like rat repellent things in my electrical outlets outside. I sprayed the tree with anti-rat stuff. My, I put up a wind barrier so that the fruit wouldn't get blown over by the wind. I mean, because in, in my mind, this tree doesn't represent just the tree. This tree is our church. You know, if you live your life and your, the fruit of your life continues to get destroyed and you don't change, then that's not too smart, is it? How could I go through a whole nother year, do nothing different and expect a different result this year? So I went to war on this tree and now there's a bunch of fruit there. It's coming out. No rat damage. Nothing going on. Okay. The second one, the lemon tree last year, it had two lemons. Now it has 20 lemons. The third one had zero grapefruit and now it has five grapefruit. I don't know how they're going to taste yet, but we'll figure that out in the future. What, what's the point? You're wondering, what's the point? God prunes your life and mine so that we'd be more fruitful. If you're living your life and you're spinning your wheels and you're not bearing fruit, then just prepare yourself. God will prune you because he loves you. My one grapefruit tree, it's all yellow because I hacked it back so far, but it's got a lot more fruit than it did last year. Maybe you're, maybe God's going to do that to you. Your life is borne so little fruit, kind of when I first came around, he just hacked me all to shreds. And it felt like I was dying, but actually I was starting to bear fruit. You know, so he prunes us to help us to read our Bibles to pray to him, to spend time with one another, to be about our mission, to give our contribution, to love him with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. That is God's only mission in life is to get us to love him. And we can choose to go along with that or we can choose to oppose him. And he promises if we oppose him, then he'll continue to prune us. And even if we go along with him, he's going to continue to prune us. So that we can be even more fruitful. Now, why do I mention this? I mention this because some of us weren't here on Wednesday to hear it first time. Right? So it's amazing. You come here on Wednesday, you have everybody here, you preach the word to them, you really go after it. And really, a lot of the people that need to hear it aren't there. I'm just calling it like it really is, guys. You know, you're preaching to the choir a lot of times on Wednesday, but we're preaching to everybody here today. And we went through our contribution. And it was amazing that 37% of us give 90 to 100% of the weeks. 
And this tells me what? It tells me not everything about their lives, but it tells me that in the area of finances that they've crucified themselves and have a conviction of giving to God. And they might forget every now and then, but their conviction is, I'm going to give to God and I'll give them an A. Then we have about 15% of us that give 80 to 90% of the time. I'll give them a B. And then we have 6% of us that give 70 to 80% of the time. I'll give them a C. And then D is even more. We have a lot of teachers in here. So what's a D, right? 60. I'll give you even 50 to 70% of the time. 6% of us will get a D. And then there's like 14% of us that get an F. That means that you give to God less than 50% of the time. And this doesn't tell the whole story. You might be supporting. Oh, I'll get to that in a minute. So, 11, so 14% of you get an F. And these are members of the church. So if you're visiting, you, this doesn't have anything to do with you. And 23% of you get a zero. That means 23% of our church gives zero dollars for the entire year. For the first 32 weeks of the year, you gave nothing. And you might have given it in cash. And you might have been supporting family somewhere else. But whatever you're going through, you can give something. You can give a dollar. You have some extraneous expense You go to Starbucks, you go to movies, you go to Burger King. You do something that gets in the way of your conviction to give to God. And my conviction is if you continue that you're going to be pruned off the tree. That if that is the way of your year, that in a few years... God is going to probably prune you off the tree because there's a reason why you're not giving. Maybe, you're, and not, this isn't everyone. Maybe you just need to be open. Maybe you have needs. Maybe you need benevolence. But this is what it means to be crucified with Christ. That I'm all in for Christ. Amen. That I'm giving my entire life. I'm, I don't care about your money. We don't really want your money if that's where you're at. But God wants us to submit to him in every area of our lives so that we can live for him. And maybe right now you're saying, well, but, but, but this, and, and you don't understand that. I would just say if that's where you're at, please pray about it. That if it is so bad that you can't give a dollar, please come find me. You know, you can come live in my conceit if it's that bad. Because it's, it's a hard issue for most of us. Yes. To be crucified with Christ. To come to the meetings of the body. So that I don't have to... Pre- you know what? I preached this on Wednesday. <laughs> I already did this. But because some of you are not crucified with Christ, I'm doing it again. For you, out of concern and out of love, so that you can get back to, we can all get back to carrying our cross daily, giving up everything to be his disciple, and really have that right hand of fellowship. I'm excited for the midweeks that we have planned for the fall called Feeding the Spirit, 
where we're going to do a lot of inspiring and new things. And I pray that you're here to hear them. I pray that you work out your schedule. If you haven't been able to be there, I pray that you radically change your schedule to make it a priority in your life and in your week. Because I know that I need it. And I know that it helps. And it helps. And you're needed as well. This fall, I pray that as we crucify ourselves with Christ, that we're able to bring water to the desert, that this can be our church. That there can be trees and flourishing bushes and everything all around us. Because if you haven't noticed, our world is thirsty. It's dry. Whether you talk about marriages, where you talk about relationships, whether you talk about addictions. I pray that this fall we can live by faith and make Jesus famous. That we can lift him up as we're crucified with Christ. That we, you know, he says not just to be crucified, but to live by faith. I pray that you can live by faith, that you can actually give faith to those you're around that don't have it. Because for those who aren't with Christ, they don't have faith. They don't have hope for their life. They don't believe they can change. So they need you and they need me to give them faith. And maybe they'll look at you and go, well, I don't have faith for myself, but because you have faith, I'll give it a try. I can't explain what happened in your life and how your family's so different, so I don't really know about this, but I'll give it a try too. And I pray that we can have that spirit that we see the needs and we make a decision that I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to crucify myself. Whatever gets in the way of me being an ambassador for Christ, I'm going to put it up there on the cross today. And I'm going to pray. Maybe I don't have faith myself, but I'm God, I don't have much faith, but just use whatever I got. I got a mustard seed of faith. Just help me to help someone to see you. And those are the kind of prayers that fire God up. That's the, the grapefruit tree. Hey, I haven't been in the Bible study in a year, in two years, in five years, but I want to share the word with someone. And I think God takes notice. He sees those kind of prayers and answers them. Now, as we take communion, I pray that we can be grateful for the right hand of fellowship that we share. With our brothers and sisters around the world and most importantly with Christ, that we're called co-heirs with him. I pray that we can crucify ourselves with Christ again today. In whatever ways that we've come down from the cross, that we can put ourselves back up. And that we can live every day with the words, Jesus is Lord, on our heart and mind. And I pray that we can live by faith. That God has made us ambassadors. He's given us a purpose. And he will bless us this fall, this week, this day. Let's pray and we'll take our communion together. Father, we do thank you for this time to be together. Thank you for your words here. Thank you for Paul's heart and just the church that has gone before us. God, I pray that you bless our church here today. I pray that you settle our hearts, God, that you help us to find uh, the truth of whatever was preached today, whatever it is from you, that we'll accept it, that we'll let it change us, God, that we'll recommit ourselves to you. 
that we'll have the heart of Paul of, hey, I want to find out and make sure I don't run the race in vain. I want to have that right hand of fellowship with Christ. God, I pray that we can continue to live crucified lives. This is the teaching of Christ that never changes and never gets old. It's always challenging. It's always difficult. And yet it's freeing and it brings us a faith and a spirit that brings joy and peace and happiness, not just to ourselves, but to our family and to this world. God, thank you for Jesus who made this all possible by his death, burial, and resurrection for us. In his name we pray. Amen.